Well, good morning. Wow, it is great to be back here at Calvary Baptist. Uh, my wife, Katura, in the red sweater, and I, we just enjoy the, the warm uh, uh, greeting and, and red carpet that you guys roll out for us every time we come and visit. Uh, we appreciate your ministry partnership with us. Um, Katura and I, we are missionaries, and uh, we serve in Japan. A lot of people don't know a lot about Japan. Let me share that size-wise, it's actually a little smaller than the state of California, uh, it's about, but it has 126 million people, and it's the third largest economy in the world, and, and there's absolute freedom there. Katur and I, we actually have religious visas there. So we have absolutely just as much freedom as here. Like I can't go into a public high school and share the gospel. Um, there are some limits what you can do just like you do here. But uh, here's the thing is through, even though they have all this freedom, it's uh, 0.4 of 1% are evangelical Christian uh, with that 126 million. It makes them the second largest unreached people group in the world. And so our work with uh, um, Word of Life, you know, uh, just get, tell you a little bit about that, that organization. Um, they are in 80 countries around the world, uh, and it's about 1,500 missionaries and interns. Uh, it all started with uh, Jack Wurtzen back in 1946 in Scroon Lake, New York. Um, some people that are older than me, they might remember a, a radio program that he was famous for, but, uh, uh, but they have been spreading the gospel around the world uh, since 1946. Uh, there is more information at their website, and what they want to be known for and what really the strategy or vision that they have is not to plant churches. They're not looking around and saying, ah, there's a village, it, it needs a church, and so they go through all the energy and effort to plant a church. It's really not what Word of Life usually does. What they usually do is they find a like-minded, biblically strong church, and they want to help them reach out to their community and do ministry. So a little bit of timeline with Gatur and I. Um, you know, we've been in Japan for over seven years uh, we started in Karzawa, and that's the arrow on the right, um, right in the middle of the main island of Japan, small little city, 20,000 people or so, and, and we just said, okay, Lord, let's give this a try. Um, we're going to quit our jobs in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and we're going to um, uh, leave our friends and family, and, and we're going to move 7,000 miles away in 14 time zones, and, and we're going to try this for three years, and let's just see how it goes. And uh, we did it, and we loved it so much that we made the decision to become career missionaries in 2017, and it was actually shortly after that that uh, we became ministry partners with you guys here. And then in 2018, <laughs> our plan was to move to Hemeji, Japan, which is the arrow on the left. And we were going to move there in just a couple, three months. We are going to do some intensive full-time language study, learning Japanese. By the way, that's a very difficult language to learn, in case you didn't know. Um, we learned that. Um, but we, we, our plan was two or three months. Um, well, we've been there ever since. So God had a different plan, and his plans are always better than our plans. So 
Um, we, we moved to Himeji and we've been doing ministry. Now, what primarily, you know, what are we doing? What, how is God opening up doors? Because 0.4 of 1%, it's not many Christians in Japan. Well, God is using English language. The people uh, of Japan, not all of them, but many of them, for one reason or another, could be a school, a job, maybe they like to travel. Well, they want to learn English. And they don't want a Japanese person teaching them English. They want what's called a native English speaker. They don't care if the person is German, Australian, American, Canadian, doesn't matter. But they want a native English speaker teaching English. Our main ministry is English Cafe. And what we do is we give them the opportunity. They come in and we just relax. I tell them, look, there's no test. There's no homework. We have coffee, tea, and snacks. We're just going to relax and give you the chance to practice speaking English. And every day we have a topic. And, and we discuss the topic. And hopefully it's fun. Hopefully there's laughter. Hopefully they're relaxed. And they, they get the chance to answer the questions. They can take as much time as they need. They can always pass on a question that they don't want to answer. And they, but down the page, we get a little deeper and a little more serious. And at the bottom, we have a Bible verse. What does God have to say about the topic that we're teaching? Really interesting conversations that we can have with this opportunity. And so this is our primary ministry that we're doing. Um, and, and actually, Gatur and I, we, we had two, since the last time we were here, two main kind of slight changes, really a focus of ministry that we wanted to do. And the first one was we wanted to build friendships with cafe students. I think we had this relationship that was teacher-student, teacher-student, and there was kind of a wall there, especially in the Japanese culture. There, there's supposed to be a wall there. <laughs> and so what we we did is we'd invite them into our homes and we would play Catan or Ticket to Ride or whatever, card games, and have a meal together, talk about life. And they kind of realize, okay, they're, they're not crazy. They are Christians, but they're not crazy. Hopefully we're building friendships, and that's what we wanted to do. And, and last Christmas, we had the opportunity. We were in Japan, and on Christmas Day, we had two married couples over, and, and we, Katura, cooked a nice ham dinner, and, and we had a traditional Christmas meal there, and, uh, and we played a board game and just had good fellowship together with them. A few days later, we had some other students come over, and we showed the Charlie Brown Christmas movie. And as you know, I mean, they, they quote right from Scripture in that uh, movie, and it's just an opportunity for them to hear for the first time, usually. You know, why, why are we celebrating the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago? And, and we're able to do that in, in, in a nice, friendly, relaxed atmosphere. The second vision for ministry change that we had, we wanted stronger relationships. I told you that, we, you know, the message said that we wanted to be the church's best friend. We wanted to strengthen those relationships. And this year, we, God op, gave us that opportunity. Um, Easter Sunday, we started a new English program with uh, Himeji Baptist Church. That's the uh, picture on the left. And it's just mostly junior high girls. But uh, there was a lot of students that have come to that, and uh, some Christians, some non-Christians 
have come. This is an opportunity for people at the church to invite people that like English to come to our English class. And we do that every Sunday after the worship service. And this other church, the one on the right, I'll pronounce it for you, Suchiyama Christ Church. The, um, it's just been a blessing working with this church. And it's, it's about 35, 40 minutes drive away. It's worth it. We go there every week. And the, the pastor is so fired up about what we're doing. He joins the English cafe tables. That's the only English cafe that we do in which that happens. And so we, the, but the, the church members, their, their staff, they help with um, uh, just greeting people coming in. Uh, actually, I haven't mentioned this, but the, the English cafe students actually usually pay a small fee. It's usually 5 or $10 is what they pay to practice speaking English. And it helps cover our coffee, tea, snacks, and, and travel expense and that kind of thing. But Suchiyama Christ Church, the pastor told me, I have never seen this many non-believers come into my church before in such a short period of time. This is just wonderful. They're inviting these cafe students to come to church on Sunday, and they're coming. You know, some of them are. And uh, still there's this there's little intimidation with them. They don't understand what is a church service, what does that look like. So there is a great hesitancy, but it, it's a lot better. And it's the same thing here for you guys. If, if you're going to invite maybe someone from school or for someone from work, and you're going to invite them to come to church, I'm telling you, my advice to you is do the same thing we do. is Come to church, sit next to us. you got to include that. If you do, okay, because like, where do I go? Where do I sit? They don't know anything. They've never done this before. It could be the people you know, the people in your neighborhood, your coworker, your, your friend from school, whatever. They may have never been to a church Give them that, I'll, I'll meet you in the lobby, and we'll sit together. And so we do this, and we're strengthening, um, uh, you know, the opportunity. People will want to maybe be more apt to go if you include that. So God has just blessed the, these two things that we've done, building relationships with these cafe students and also building relationships with the churches that we're doing. We have four English cafe ministries that we do every week, three of them, are at the site of a, of a church, and then one of them is we have an English school that is in Himeji, Japan, and so that, that's the fourth one. So that kind of gives you an idea of what we're doing today. Uh, uh, we are going to talk about contentment, and so I went ahead and I researched and looked up. This is what Google told me. It was a state of happiness and satisfaction as far as defining contentment. I have my own definition. Um, to be satisfied with what I have and not focused on what I don't have. That's not on Google. I came up with that. Um, so you can accept or reject that, but basically gives us the mindset, okay, what are we talking about here? Moving forward, contentment. And I, I, what is the opposite of contentment? Well, the Bible talks about that, and it's coveting. And, and the definition of that says, Covet is to want to have something very much, especially something that belongs to someone else. Well, that's not so bad. You know, I mean, that, that's in your mind. You're not really hurting anyone by having that. So, so I'm sure God doesn't mind coveting. Exodus 20, 17, uh, God says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs 
to your neighbor. So the concept of contentment and coveting, they're kind of going together, you know. So if you're not content, you're probably coveting. And uh, so if you struggle with one, you probably will struggle with the other as well. And so I and everyone in this room, probably sooner or later, we're going to struggle with the do not covet commandment from God's word. So, you know, the question I have is, do you want what you don't have? Um, I'm going to make kind of fun of myself here. So is skip content. Um, well, I'm just going to give you a short list of things rarely seen in Japan that I've learned to, to covet or, or really be lack of contentment because I don't have. Um, Katura is actually standing on a two-way street. And I thought it was so funny. We were actually looking at the building in the background when we were looking for an apartment. And uh, uh, to get to that apartment every day, every time we'd come in to and fro from that apartment building, we would have to go on this street, and it is a two-way street. This is not one way. And as you can see, um, I mean, my car's not that big, but that would be anxiety, uh, probably, uh, to do that. So that was a deal breaker. Um, Large, spacious areas. I mean, sorry, but if you want to play ultimate frisbee out there in a big field or something like that, there's, there, there are some spaces, but especially in the big city of 500,000 where we're at now, there's not many large, spacious areas. Size 13 shoes. <laughs> I stock up on shoes when I'm in America. <laughs> so I, you can buy basketball shoes, but you're going to pay a super high price, and there's not a lot of selection. Let's just say that. Uh, barbecue ribs, my favorite. They're there. They're hard and difficult and travel long distances to get to. Uh, College football and basketball. I'm a sports guy. I love sports. Um, we are able to enjoy uh, some NFL football and that kind of stuff, but um, college sports, for some reason, the NCAA doesn't like people overseas seeing their sports. <clears throat> Contentment issue, sorry. Uh, and then, of course, this one's for my wife. She loves Lake Michigan sunsets. They have sunsets in Japan. They do, uh, but they don't have Lake Michigan sunsets. So, well, how about you? Is there a list you guys have? Anything that you maybe struggle with contentment? Um, you know, maybe you want more power. That could be in the home. That could be at the school. It could be at an office. Do you, are you content with the amount of money that you have? Do you want a bigger house, bigger apartment? How about a better vehicle? Um, maybe your car is in the shop and all of a sudden contentment uh, is a struggle. Jewelry. Maybe it could be jewelry, better tech devices. You're like, ah, this thing, I'm not happy with it or something like that. And that possibly. Safety and security. Are you content with your level of safety and security? I want to remind you that this isn't a list of sins. This is a list of things that can cause contentment issues. It can cause us to covet sometimes as we see, oh, that person over there has this. I, I want that. Better personal relationships. And leisure time. You know, are you content with the amount of leisure time um, that you have? Maybe a coworker or something has more vacation time or, or something like that. So um, I, don't, I know you look at that list and, you know, you're like, well... 
if I was really rich, you know, I think my contentment issues would go away. You know, maybe thinking that, maybe you're thinking that poor and middle class people simply, they don't understand how happy money can make you. So maybe you just need to experience life uh, as a wealthy person to fully appreciate how happy money, which sometimes brings power, can make you. And certainly being rich provides contentment, right? Well, I'm going to discuss four different men today. And each achieved a lot of money, a high level of success, and in many cases, uh, tremendous power that they had. So just going to compare four different men and find out, did they have contentment? Did money give them contentment? First person is Jim Carrey. So, younger kids, sorry, I don't know. You probably don't know him. But anyway, Jim Carrey, he's a movie actor um, who was one of the first actors in Hollywood to start making $20 million per film. That was an elite club. That was the best of the best actors. And, and he made approximately a total of $200 million between 1994 and 2008. And yes, that money, amount of money does qualify him for our list of people that are wealthy and somewhat powerful. And, and I want you to know that I am starting my list of four people with a movie actor. And that isn't a mistake. I, I think that our culture, definitely, but even around the world, people love their superstars, don't they? They love the famous people. And, and that person could be, you know, uh, someone in sports. It could be a movie actor. It could be a singer. Um, and all of a sudden, people start to covet their lives. And, and people... They want to know about their personal lives. They want to know what they eat, what they drink, and what they're thinking. In fact, all of a sudden, these people all of a sudden become, you ever notice this, experts on things? You know, like, oh, well, we have to ask this famous athlete what they think of this political thing or something like that. And, and I've never quite understood that connection, but that's uh, what happens a lot of times. Well, Jim Carrey, he achieved success and influence in not just Hollywood, but in American culture. So, so what do you think? You know, $200 million became literally in a class of one of the best, you know, actors in Hollywood. Did money make Jim Carrey happy? Well, his response where he said that you can still be unhappy is a shock when you have accomplished everything you ever dream, dreamt of. So money and influence that he had, it did not provide contentment for Jim Carrey. Uh, So let's go to the next person. And who likes history class? Okay. Uh, John D. Rockefeller. Uh, Just give you a little bit of context. He was born in 1839, and he died in 1937. 98 years. Um, He worked in the oil business. He founded the Standard Oil Company. And at its peak, he controlled 90% of the oil in the United States. At the pinnacle of his wealth, John D. Rockefeller had a net worth of 3% of the entire U.S. gross domestic product, the measurement for the size of the economy. He had 3% of the entire U.S. economy. To give you a little bit of comparison to today's terms, Let's see, if you took his, his net worth, his wealth at its peak and adjusted it for inflation, he would have $745 billion. 
you're like, well, is, is that a lot? Elon Musk right now is the richest person in the world, according to Google, and, and this amount of wealth that he had at that point in time was three times. He'd be three times as rich as, as Elon Musk. So, so John, J.D. Rockefeller, I, he found contentment, right? I mean, he had all this wealth and, and power. So he was content, right? Well, well, someone went up to him, and they asked him the question, you know, so John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? You know, or how much more money do you want? Just a little bit more. So he just had an enormous, unbelievable amount of wealth. And was he content? He wasn't content. So in my research, I I did not find any quotes uh, from J.D. Rockefeller claiming that he was unhappy. But I think from this response, I think we definitely understood that he wasn't content. He had so much money, and and yet he wasn't really content. So I'm going to turn it a little bit. I have two questions for you. Do you have enough? Do you want more? Well, let's take a test. Self-check. Okay, so you can ask yourself how much blank is enough. Well, fill in the blank with whatever you struggle to be content with and put that in that blank and then read that, that sentence. And so, so if it's, let's just say it's, uh, it's money. So ask yourself how much money is enough. And I've had this conversation with uh, people in the work world and that kind of stuff before. Was and, and, and I did hear that same answer, just a little more. I don't want a lot more. I just want a little more. Well, when you get there, then a little more? And then a little more, maybe? Could it be? So uh, it, is, uh, it is certainly a, uh, a, a challenge. Uh, if, you, if you can't provide a spef- specific amount, then there may be an issue with contentment. So the main text uh, from the Bible that we're going to discuss today is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And the main thing is, is Christians need to make an effort to learn to be content. So, so this is God's word. So God has revealed to us, I hope you guys find this to be very comforting from God's word today. That, and I'm going to go ahead and read it, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. And, and I think, and I've heard a lot of different like angles or, 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 or just the way um, a pastor could preach from this passage of Scripture. But I, I made it easy. I went ahead and underlined um, the, the word learned and, and that, um, that Paul is saying, I have learned to be content. And then later on, I have learned the secret of contentment. And, and, and that's like he achieved success in this. So it is something that he can learn and it is something that we all of us, me and you, we can learn how to, uh, to be content. Um, a little secret I did learn from a pastor once was when God repeats something, he's really trying to emphasize that. So really should 
perk up your antenna when you, um, when you see that God is repeating something so close like that. So, so we've talked about two men. We've talked about Jim Carrey. We've talked about John D. Rockefeller. Now let's go to the Bible. Um, let's look at two men who are mentioned in the Old Testament and see if they, what they can teach us about contentment. And I'm so glad that someone had their smartphone ready to take a picture of King Solomon while he's watching football. Um, I don't know what team he was cheering for. Uh, but King Solomon, uh, wow, what a picture of success, uh, of power, and of wealth. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 10b through 11 says, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Solomon was given great wisdom, but he couldn't find contentment. Here's a partial list of what Solomon had. Gardens, vineyards, trees, and pools, no contentment. Intellect and education, he pursued wisdom, but found grief. Women, he tried to to become content with women. 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Wealth, Bible says he surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Power and control, uh, it's a historical fact that during the reign of King Solomon that it was the largest territory in Israel's history. And, and, and it was just a, a, a tremendous combination of, of everything that he had, just tremendous wealth, tremendous power. And, and so did, did all of this wealth and power, did it make him happy? Well, Ecclesiastes 2, 11 says, And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon found that riches to be empty. And so... King Solomon, what was his conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes that he wrote, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, uh, he says, the conclusion, when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So, his response wasn't just a little bit more. He just found it completely, what a waste. If, if you're driving ambition in, your, in your, your, what you want, what you desire, is just earthly, earthly things and wealth. So he was wealthy, but um, uh, maybe you think, maybe you're thinking right now that, well, that's, that's 3,000 years ago, Okay. And uh, maybe his downfall was the times. Maybe you're thinking, well, people are smarter today. I mean, we have smartphones and we have Google and Siri and we can, we can get all kinds of information. So people are smarter today and maybe we can manage great wealth in a way that will bring us contentment and happy, happiness. Do, is, do you think? Reader's Digest. Uh, was looking into, does winning the lotto provide happiness? And so an article from Reader's Digest of January of this year says, whether they win 500 million or 1 million, about 70% 
of lotto winners lose or spend all that money in five years or less. One-third of lotto winners declare bankruptcy. So why? Could, could it be the impossibility to find happiness and contentment and, and to be able to buy that? So I ask you, church, is content difficult to achieve? I, uh, I read a good book this year. Um, the author is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I hope I pronounced that right. And he, he wrote in the book, Cost of Discipleship, this quote. But the heart is dark when it clings to earthly goods. For then, however urgently Jesus may call us, his call fails to find access to our hearts. Our hearts are closed, for they have already been given to another. So if, if it, like it says, if we cling to earthly goods, we cling to earthly goods, then our, God has lost access to our hearts. So that's really something that I think we need to think about and pray about and, and consider. Um, every Christian needs to make sure our hearts are open to God's will. We need to make sure earthly things haven't closed our hearts. Person number four, Job. Job was a rich man who had a large amount of wealth. He had many livestock and possessions. He had a big family. Job walked close with God. He regularly worshiped the Lord and offered sacrifices to him. And in literally minutes, Job is informed that he has lost all of his material possessions, basically also his means to get any more money. It's one thing if they just empty your bank account, but if you still have your job, you can make more money, right? But basically all his means to make more money is lost, and all ten of his children have died. Soon after that, Job started getting painful sores all over his body. Job was suffering. So how do you think Job responded to this loss he was experiencing? Did Job curse God and turn away from him? Job 1, 20 through 21 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So how did Job respond when he had lost so much? Job accepted the situation as God's will and offered praise to God. Job had peace. I think there are many people in the world who simply cannot reconcile this. They cannot understand how can you be that rich and wealthy and successful and, and, and lose everything and be at peace. By human understanding, it doesn't make sense. But that's the key, isn't it? Is, is that we, this is beyond human understanding. So how about you? Have you suffered loss? Have you or, or someone close to you had any health issues? School? Difficult? Work problems, 
difficult personal relationships? Uh, Have you had to deal with the death of someone who was close to you? So how do you respond to adversity? Do you respond like Job did? Job was very successful, and then everything was taken away from him, yet Job praised the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want faith like Job had. Job sets a good example for us to look to in the scriptures and to follow. Uh, I like this, this quote, and I think this is, this is really the heart of where we're at. Where are we at? Um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4. How do you think a holy God feels about our prideful expectations? Maybe we think we, we have better ideas on the way things should go than what God does. Anyone? I'll give you one. I mean, everyone saw COVID and this is just awful. This is terrible. But I can tell you this. God used it to, to really speed up the church all around the world. I mean, we saw it in Japan and I know it also happened here. There were many churches who didn't even have the capability of broadcasting to the internet, the worship services. And I can tell you, in April of 2020, about every church around the world had to learn something fast. And, and so that's an example of how God sees the whole picture. And God used something terrible like, you know, the coronavirus, COVID thing, and he enabled, he helped the churches grow in that area so that they can reach more people with biblical truth and the gospel. Um, so humble is, is where I, I, really important for our heart. Now, I want to get back to Jim Carrey. Um, here is a quote from him. Um, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Um, very interesting quote from him. Uh, my research, I, I looked and looked and um, from what I've seen, uh, he has not embraced Christianity. He has not embraced uh, faith alone and Christ alone for salvation. Um, he uh, seems, you know, from what I saw, was, was pretty much all over the place. But uh, here's the important thing is, is that here, a non-believer who has achieved a high level of success, he basically is telling everyone money and power and, and, and success, that is not the answer, um, you know, in order to be happy. Um, so, so how do we find joy? Well, obviously, I think one of our foundations in the Christian walk is to go to God's word. God can give us encouragement. God can give us instruction. How can we learn to be content? I think Jesus and some of his teachings are very important to look at. Uh, Jesus was asked uh, what law was most important, and Jesus answered it, and I believe his answer teaches us the secret of contentment and peace. So the law, I mean, how are people to live? What is, what is it we follow, and, and, and where's our heart? It, anyway, so Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And where I'm going with this verse is I think if it's, whatever, I'm just using this as a symbol of, of, of possessions. If you're clinging to possessions and you're focused on this, I, I, I think you're going to lose sight of what really matters. And, and what Jesus is saying is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
And later in Scripture, in Matthew 6, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not seek it second, not third, but seek it first. So can you be content with what you have instead of desiring to have more? If you end up like Job and lose everything, will you be content? Would I be content? Tough question to answer. Uh, I am not perfect. I struggle with contentment and coveting. I think like probably everyone else in this room, I think um, that's part of the reason why uh, God led me to, to use this as a topic uh, to, to preach today. I do believe God's word can help us learn. Oh, I love that. God's word can help us learn to resist uh, coveting uh, and to, to be content. So in conclusion, I want to wrap up with three applications. Uh, the number one uh, application is prayer. Prayer is the breath of the Christian life. So we need to be like Job, right? He, he set an example. Walk with God. Pray throughout your day. Pray while driving. Pray while raking leaves and shoveling snow and doing dishes, whatever. You know, you, you can pray throughout the day. Helps you stay focused on the things that truly matter the most. God wants a personal relationship with all of you. He wants, he's that big. He is a big God. He's got wide open arms and he is welcoming everyone to have that close personal relationship with him. And, and, I, and I just encourage you to run to him. And one of my favorite verses, um, I think praying and meditating on this verse can help people with contentment. Um, Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth. Really, I think that application can help. Second one, second uh, application is to examine your expectations. We all need to sit here and wonder, what do we expect from God? Do we expect God to provide us good health? A big house? Nice vehicles? perfect behavior by your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, perfect work conditions at your job or at school. Is, do you expect God to provide you with safety and security? Examining our expectations can reveal our level of contentment. So does God promise, once again, this isn't necessarily a list of sins. This is just natural things that people can struggle with contentment with. And where I'm going with this is if, if this is our expectation and you find you don't have one or many of the things on this list, are you content? And, and, and where's our heart? What is our heart seeking? So um, I would uh, definitely recommend that we, um, uh, we try to put first the kingdom of God and the things that are of this earth to have that second. And that will help us be content with what God, according to his will, has provided for us. Um, a passage of scripture I want to read is Matthew 15, 24 through 26. Uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, 
he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for your, his soul? That Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. It wasn't just to these men. Okay, Jesus is saying this, that you need to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. Believe me, 2,000 years ago, the disciples understood what Jesus was talking about. It didn't mean safety and security and good health and a big house. It, it was seek first the kingdom of God. And, and, and I think we have to be willing in the name of Jesus while we're here on this earth, you know, truly pain-free, wonderful uh, eternity is awaiting us in heaven. But while we're here on this earth, are we willing to suffer a little bit in the name of Jesus? That's something for us to consider. Another verse um, I want to share is James 1, 2, two through 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when, I put in parentheses, not if, you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So just like in Job, God can be working through difficult situations in your life today to achieve a greater good for the future. Because Job didn't know. We have God's word, right? Beginning of, chap of Job, it, it talks about basically a conversation between God and Satan. And that was the backdrop to what was happening to Job. Job doesn't, didn't know that until after he died, probably, of what exactly happened. And, and so we don't see you know, we have this COVID thing, and, and God used it to grow the church on the internet. I know that for sure. And many other ways, God used that for his glory. Okay, application number three. Um, I'm going to share uh, a real-world issue of contentment in Japan. Uh, Katur and I used to lead interns as part of our ministry with Word of Life. And, and it, it, this happens all the time. And if there's a new organization that comes in, you know, or new leadership in that organization comes in and the leader looked and decided and he said, I want to lead the interns. So uh, it was taken away from us. And, and that was difficult for Katura and I. We, we liked leading the interns. We liked discipling them and training them, getting to know them. This is next generation of missionaries. And, and, but we had to understand that, that God gives and God takes away, just like Job had mentioned. And we, we couldn't believe that the door had closed. And so we, we focused on this closed door uh, for too long. Um, it was a struggle for us both, but we have learned that we need to focus on the open doors in life. Uh, I mean, it's okay. I think it's okay to knock on a closed door occasionally uh, just to see if if maybe it was just a, a challenge and God's having us work through the challenge, but our main attention is on the open doors that are around us. Um, we have to truly declare what you know, Job in 121 said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and what we have experienced in Japan um, just you know, in the last year, year and a half, especially this calendar year in 2022, we have seen God grow 
the ministry that we serve in. We have gone from two English cafes a week to four English cafes a week, from working at one church with an English ministry to three churches with an English ministry. And we do that every week. And, and God is just blessing that open door in front of us. We're, we're building relationships with those English cafe students, becoming friends with them, as well as uh, closer relationships with churches. So don't spend 80% of your time bang, banging on those closed doors. That's my encouragement and application to you. Uh, we need to trust God. Take time today to consider all that God has given you. God knows your needs, and he knows your pains and your frustrations. Trust God to do his will in his timing and, and not worry about, you know, what we think God should do at every moment. Uh, so we just need to accept that we are probably not all going to be wealthy individuals like the four individuals that I had on the screen before, um, but we need to be content with the circumstances that God has provided to us. As you start to trust God for all of your needs, you will find yourself achieving contentment. And, and, and I love this encouragement from Scripture. You can learn to be more content. It starts with having a humble heart and letting God's will be done, and even if it doesn't equal what you want. 